Yo, 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 welcome to the Outside the Box podcast. I am Jacques Slade. Welcome to the show. As always, we appreciate you guys. So this week is going to be a little bit different, as you can already see. Nick, Tiffany, and I weren't able to record an episode together. So what we did was we tried to record an episode separately. It was a lot of fun, and it allowed us to really incorporate you, the audience, into the show, which is something that we always want to do. The format of the show is going to be a little different. We're going to put questions on the screen that were asked by you guys, and each of us are going to go around answering those questions. We have five questions that we thought were really pertinent and that really would, I guess, make a difference. I don't know, make a difference that would be meaningful, impactful, um, and for the hype beast. I don't know. They're just, look, it's just five questions that we decided to ask or to answer. We didn't ask the questions. Someone else asked the questions and we're answering those questions, if you know what I mean. So just watch and let me know, let us know, not just me, because obviously I'm not the reason why you listen to this show. It's all about Nick and Tiffany. They're really the reasons why. Okay, I'm going to stop rambling. So here's the first question. Testing. I think uh, Payless Shoe Source closing all its doors definitely will have an impact on the footwear business. Now, the question I have is, are they already impacted? Were they impacted because of online sales? I mean, is Amazon... And are all the brands selling more shoes online to where people basically they don't need to go to Payless anymore to get them? I mean, I remember shopping at Payless as a kid and you get everything from dress shoes to flip flops to sneakers there. So, I mean, on one level, you know, their price points were low enough that it appealed to a lot of different shoppers. So I think there's going to be a group of people that still, you know, look for basically all their shoe needs in one store and maybe they don't have a place to shop now. So Payless shoe stores closing all their stores is, is to me a really big deal. Um, I mean, personally, it was one of those places that we shopped when we were kids because it was cheap and we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, our $30 budget fit well with what the selection at Payless shoe source was. But I think that you know, it, it speaks to the nature of the sneaker business right now. Everybody's so focused on the, the more expensive stuff and, you know, that's just not attainable for most people. So I'm actually a lot more concerned with this news than probably I would be if, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to put any names out there, but if another like mall retailer closed that carried more traditional sneakers and not like the, the cheaper, um, off-brand stuff. Um, I think it's going to be bigger than what most people think it's going to be. Payless has uh, a large collection of stores, and I know especially for kids, I know especially with my family, um, they generally go to places like Payless or Kmart or Walmart and buy the kids cheaper shoes because they're going to grow out of those sizes really fast. So I don't necessarily feel that the impact is going to have an impact on places like Foot Locker and Foot Action and Finish Line and places like that. The larger impact is going to be places like Walmart where they'll probably see an increase in sales as people will start to go there to get shoes for their kids as opposed to going to Foot Locker and going with a more premium route. I would assume that Payless did a pretty large amount of business, obviously not enough to keep the business around, 
but I felt like they did a pretty large number as far as business goes. And maybe they grew too fast or they opened too many stores or manufacturing costs went up. But something happened along the line that obviously affected their bottom line. But I do feel like they are a big part of the footwear culture. There is still a market for a lower priced uh, lower quality, I guess, shoe. Um, I think you have places like Marshall's and these other uh, other places, department stores more or less, um, that offer kind of the same scenario. But man, I remember growing up, there's a pay less shoe store just about everywhere. So I do think it'll impact uh, the industry. I'm just curious to where their shoppers go. Do they go online now? Or do they go to another store? I, I think it is a little bit controlled by price point. So, you know, maybe some of them start looking at the more expensive brands. But um, there's also the, um, the the warehouse stores or the factory stores, the factory outlets and things like that. Is that where people are going to end up shopping um, a little bit more now that Payless is gone? I don't know. I can't wait to see, though, um, how it kind of all pans out and understand more about why they are closing their doors. I guess I guess I'll say some people see shoes as just a utility and having a shoe under $50 or a company that makes shoes under $50, I think, is an asset to this community. And either that business has gone away, it's gone digital and people aren't just going inside stores anymore and buying shoes or there's just been a change in the culture and the branding of Payless and people aren't going there anymore, but they're going somewhere else. I do still feel that some they're going somewhere. They're not going to Foot Locker. They're not going to Nike. They're not going to Adidas, but they are going somewhere to get those shoes at that lower price point. Because for some people, one, that's all they can afford. And two, for others, they just don't feel like there is a need to pay over a certain amount of money for a pair of shoes. In one way, it's how a lot of people kind of step into the sneaker world. You know, I remember Jacques doing a video on uh, some some Jordan 3s that he picked up from Kmart years ago and talking about how important, you know, that really is to give people something to look up to and, you know, aspire to. And I think with Payless, um, I was just looking at a little bit of their sales numbers over the years, you know, 2011 was their best year as a company, which quite possibly could be like the best year for like, let's say Nike basketball and Jordan brand. Like they had a really good, that was a really good time for, for basketball and like just footwear in general, right? Like it was kind of like the peak of sneakers before the resale thing became mainstream. Something that a lot of people don't realize is like, just because a brand doesn't necessarily sell the stuff that you want to buy or the hyped stuff or you know whatever you want to call it doesn't mean that it doesn't serve a, gr a great purpose for other people um you know payless had a lot of collaborations a lot of designers and and you know celebrities that released their shoes there like obviously shack shoes were there um i remember uh christian siriano had shoes there martha stewart had shoes there you know champion airwalk these are brands that don't typically like do as well in like the trendy sneaker world, but this gives a way to kind of connect the dots between like entry level shoes and uh, you know that customer and all the way up, you know. So it's it's really sad to hear that they're closing. You know, one thing that I think will be interesting is like there's stores out there that have taken kind of that same approach, but not with footwear, right? Like Uniqlo is one of them where cause and you know, I mean, you name it, right? Like they've had so many artists and so many designers, Alexander Wang, like all these designers and all these artists that have collaborated with, with Uniqlo, 
And, you know, then we did the stories on Roger Federer back, you know, last summer joining them. And, you know, who knows? That would be my kind of what I would keep my eyes on if I'm if I'm looking forward to this. The, if there's any positive that comes from this story is that there might be room for somebody like Uniqlo to come in and and, you know, bring in a footwear element to their stores and to their brand that can tie all of those athletes, celebrities, artists that they're already working with on those projects and turn it into a more, you know, footwear focused, you know, experience discount, obviously not discount, but like entry level pricing. What makes a sneaker a classic? Ah, gosh, that is a very loaded question. And I think it really, it really depends on the individual. The individual determines whether the shoe is a classic to them or, or not. And I, I think it has to do obviously with the history of a shoe and the pop culture element of a shoe, I believe, and the style of a shoe. So I, in my perspective, when I think of a classic shoe, I think it's something that resonated with the sneaker culture and the wider culture in general. So not just sneakerheads know about the shoe, it's known by a larger population. Well, to me, I think it it's basically a shoe that has to have been around for decades. And it usually is a simple design. I don't know if I can think of any classics that are really crazy looking designs. I mean, something classic means it's super wearable, right? It comes in a variety of colors, a variety of materials, and it's just super wearable. Think Air Force One, think Chuck Taylor, you know, like shoes that have come out in the last year that'll become classics. Um, you know, first of all, for me, I think it has to it has to span a couple decades. So it's got to still be around in 20 years and be consistently sold the whole time. Not just like, not just sold in 2017 or 2018 and then not sold again until 2027. That's more of a retro, right? Um, but a shoe that is constantly sold. I think the Element React uh, Nike's trying to do, they're trying to turn it into a classic. I don't know if that one will be a classic. You know, it can look... It can look a little wild with some of the colorways, but then actually when they, they put it all in white or blue, it totally looks, um, it does look like possibly a classic. So um, I think it has to be comfortable too, right? You don't sell tons and tons of shoes year after year after year if they're not comfortable. So I think a classic sneaker is something that stands the test of time. I think that there are a handful of shoes that every quote sneakerhead should own in their life just because it's like kind of a standard like you sh you should experience this um first up would be obviously chuck taylor's i would throw the adidas stan smith in there the air jordan one um the new balance 574 uh let me think here you know adidas superstars um I mean, you know, now I, you know, maybe not right now, but I would consider the Ultra Boost in there, the Air Max, you know, line, depending on which ones you're looking at, can fall into that. And I think that what that, what they do is most of the time they create a moment in time when they're first released. And then as that, as they age, you can go back to them. It invokes memories for people. It brings back those like, thoughts of like oh that was that cool commercial for this or oh you know who wore that shoe this guy you know like the puma clyde is a great one right like walt frazier wearing the shoe like and and you know that shoe's been around for a few decades now longer and it has such a story that it 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 was established in basketball it became such a huge part of hip-hop 
And then it evolved into just a standard shoe that can always be on the shelf and people are always going to be like, oh yeah, the suede's, the, the Clyde's, I'll, I, I can definitely rock with those. So I think those are the things that, you know, like you can have a shoe that's really hot when it starts out, but if it, if it, if you look at it five years from now, you know, we talked about this on a previous, uh, just a recent episode, but on, on our regrets, right? But if you look at a shoe that maybe was crazy when it came out, hyped up, everybody bought it, sold out, resale was crazy. But then five years later, the shoe is forgotten about. I don't think you really call that a classic. Um, now, Chuck Taylors, I can't wear them. They're too narrow for me, so I've never bought them. But there's a, a, I mean, almost everybody I know has a pair. So they're also at a lower price point. I think price point impacts. You know, I've never seen a $300 shoe become a classic. I mean, sure, versions of the Air, Air, uh, Air Force One may be that expensive, but the shoe didn't become classic because of that. I think it becomes because it's at the right price point and it has, it's super wearable and they sell it year after year after year, you know, and people keep buying it, right? If you have multiple pairs of a shoe in your closet from this year or last year, that might become a classic. It's gotta, it's gotta be something that you can look back at and you can still wear in today's or in the future, right? Where people can still look at it and, and have a lot of respect or a lot of nostalgia around it. To me, that's, you know, like the definition of a classic sneaker. For me, when I think of the word classic or a classic sneaker, it has to be something that is bigger than the sneaker culture and resonates with a larger audience and they're able to recognize it on site and know exactly what it is. For instance, the Air Jordan 11, that is a classic sneaker to me. Yes, the sneaker culture knows about it, but people outside of the sneaker culture know about it as well. They may not necessarily know that it is the brand Air Jordan 11 or the Space Jam Air Jordan 11, but they do know that it is a very popular Air Jordan sneaker. And I think things like that and that and the shoe being able to to be a part of the lexicon of the broader community is what makes it classic in my eyes. Zion Williamson and Nike. If you've been paying attention to sneakers for any amount of time, you know that sneakers are, you know, they're not indestructible, right? Like you've seen people have shoes that fall apart. You know, we've all probably had shoes that are older that fall apart, but Zion's injury, you know, hopefully he recovers quickly. And, you know, I mean, just, I'd hate to see him lose longer term success in his career um especially considering you know college athletes still aren't paid to play um but regardless of that hopefully he recovers quickly and can get back to doing what he loves oh my gosh my heart dropped the moment i saw that tear out oh my goodness like first i think it's hilarious that people call shoes breaking blowouts um like it's a tire blowing out right well i mean i get it but i think it's kind of funny you can see in that video that the shoe split right at the bite line and the bite line is the area right between the midsole and the upper so the bite line goes right across this line where you see the midsole and the upper and you know when they attach the midsole and to the upper a lot of times if it's a leather shoe they'll thin it out they'll skive it in that area right so it fits well and you don't feel it underfoot and i think this was just a case of they they skived it they thinned it out too much and i don't even know the materials in that shoe actually um so it 
what will happen with them? I have no idea. I mean, he's got an injury now. Um, I'm sure Nike is doing everything they can to basically help help him with his injury. You know, uh, time's going to tell on this one, you know. Well, um, the short answer to that one for me is I don't think anything is going to happen. I think we saw what was going to happen has already happened. He, he bust out of his shoe, out of his PG 2.5, and really... I think that is going to be the end of it. I think the media and Twitter and they all get involved in it and they try to make it something bigger than it already is. And I just think that that story is really going to die. Only reason it is a big story is because of Zion Williamson being the the star, incredible talent that he is. If he wasn't, if he was just some random guy in a D3 school that broke his shoe, we wouldn't be having this conversation. I think the only reason this conversation has happened is because of Zion, which is both good and it's bad. A question I would have is, has he blown out shoes before? You know, he's a pretty dominant player. He's good. He's a big guy. Maybe he's blown out shoes before, and this isn't all that uncommon for him. If if that was the case, and he's blown out shoes, like, that's an interesting shoe story to tell. Like, your durability clearly isn't enough for him. That might be an innovation, you know, because of his style of play or something that is an opportunity. But... Unfortunately, you know, I hope he recovers very quickly. I hope this is not ending his season by any means. Um, and I do feel for the Nike folks, the developers and designers and everybody who built the shoe there. I guarantee you they're on phones right now and on emails and texts and they are figuring out what is going on. It's so crazy to see how it just, he just went right through it. You know, to me, that's, you know, I, I'm, I don't know how exactly how big he is, but, you know, I think he's, you know, roughly 300 pounds playing like a guard that, you know, typically we don't expect that from people. So for me, like I, I actually got to wear test shoes for Nike, uh, years ago. And, you know, there's a lot of things that go into developing shoes. And I think that if you're only pushing it to a certain limit, then that's where your limit is. So part of this is just that Zion is that much different. He's he's bigger. He's stronger. He's playing a like a position and m moving quickly at a, at a level that no one his size has ever ever come close to playing. I mean, you look at LeBron and he's probably the closest in terms of like a big dude that is playing with so much like quickness and force. And LeBron is like Zion probably has 30 or 40 pounds on LeBron. So part of me thinks that, you know, this just kind of happens. Um, there was a few things that were really interesting about about how it came about. And, you know, I think there was a tweet from Puma saying that, you know, that wouldn't happen in Pumas, which if you paid attention, you know, back in the day, I think the same thing happened with Derrick Rose, like when he ro rolled his ankle the first time. I can't remember what shoe it was, the one or the two. And mm -hmm. someone from Nike blamed Adidas and basically said, well, if he was in Nikes, he'd be okay. And I personally, I think that it's just tasteless. I think that, you know, mm -hmm. everybody has things that happen and to throw shade at a brand because, you know, because something mm -hmm. like this happens, it's not necessarily the right, the right thing to do. Um, part of that is because I don't think, I don't think social media should be, I think social media should be very, let's say edgy, or I think the brands should definitely, you know, kind of go at each other a little bit, but in a tasteful way, you know, when, when, 
first and foremost, like the concern for Zion is, is, you know, beyond the brands, right? Like nobody wants to see this kid have this kind of injury or anything. You know, it seems like it's going to be okay. And he walked off the court. Um, and from what I've read, he's, he's, you know, it's just a light sprain. But you just never want to see that with somebody who has such a bright future in front of them. As Nightwing said it best, I think just Zion is just an incredible talent and puts a lot of force on his shoes. And it's probably a one-time situation. Now, whether Zion signs with Nike or he signs with Adidas or he signs with whoever, um, I don't think it it's going to have anything to do with the, with his shoe tearing and that's going to affect his decision. I think that's going to come down to money and how they're going to brand him and how be able he'll be able to share his message and grow his brand with a sneaker company. So I guess at the end of the day, I say all that to say probably nothing. So um, time will tell. Maybe he stays with Nike. Maybe he doesn't. It's all about what his perception is of what happened. And, and it's a shame that it happened. It shouldn't have happened, but that was probably the biggest tear I've ever seen in a shoe. I mean, incredible. It just, it just split. Like I would love to have high speed video of that split. I mean, wow, that was, that's something. In the end, at the end of the day, things happen with brands that you you know things happen with sneakers for every brand that you just don't expect. So I think the mm-hmm. the Zion thing. Hopefully he just recovers quickly, and hopefully it's a learning lesson for Nike mm-hmm. to go and you know up their game when it comes to product testing and making sure that these guys that are playing in their product are going to be safe first and foremost. So why is the app for Nike Adapt BB crashing? Well. The article I read said um, that Nike's app was turning its kicks into bricks, and I thought it was hilarious, right? Kicks and bricks. But um, it sounds like the Android update uh, for the app bricks the shoe, which is, man, it's the worst. It's the worst case scenario with a digital product. You guys all remember the blue screen of death, right? And it's it's kind of like anytime you do anything with CE, consumer electronics-based product, there's so many tests that you have to run. There are so many options. There are so many niches of experience and things that people can do and things that are out of your control, like a software, like when Android updates their software, when Apple updates their software, like, man, to make sure it all works. And we've all had digital products where they failed for an update, right? That's that's not uncommon, but on a shoe, like, is your shoe on? Is it off? Like, what's your scenario? Did you just take it off while you were changing in the gym and now you can't put your shoe on? Like, when it bricked, did it fully tighten? Like, I have so many different questions on it. Um, uh, well, technically, it's not the actual app that's crashing. They're having some issues with connectivity between the Bluetooth sensor and I believe the left shoe and with Android phones. I think it's actually happening on iPhones as well. So it's not necessarily that the app is crashing. It's that they're just having some Bluetooth connectivity issues with the latest update that they had. Uh, Part of that is, um, and again, I have some insight into this and that's why I can speak to this, is one, um, Android phones or Android systems are really hard to program for because there are so many different variants of phones, unlike with iOS where it's just one specific phone. And again, I know iOS was having issues as well, 
part of it um, is the Android situation and part of it is maybe Nike didn't QA this version of the app as well as they should have and that's why they're having some QA issues as far as bugs but it's not a huge population from what I understand it's a very small number of people um, I personally had the issue with my pair as well I had to do a hard reset and then it worked um, so it's not it's not like I'm, it's not happening, so I definitely know that it's happening. Well, it seems the story is only on the Androids. So, I mean, Team iPhone? Well, technically, I'm like still Team BlackBerry if I could get my hands on a decent one, but there's nothing out there that I can... Anyway, um, I think that the Adapt BB is so far advanced for sneakers that it's almost expected that you would see things come up like this. And... I don't think that, you know, I'm not discounting the fact that they should have a product that works well, especially with as much energy and money and time and, you know, development that has gone into a shoe like this. But I will say, like, working for companies that have had apps and working with the people that built those apps and, mm -hmm. and creating content for those apps over the past, you know, few years of my life, it's very difficult to consider every single real world scenario that a person is going to go through and to adjust for that you know you just don't you can't possibly know all the scenarios that a person is going to use mm -hmm. on their phone and the stresses that it might put on your your app so you know there's there could be so many different things right resources if you're one of those people that leaves 100 apps open on your phone and it's always you know struggling for resources then you know it's almost expected that apps crash, right? Like it happens on laptops. It happens everywhere. Like that's just a part of things. Uh, for me, I think that it's also a, the bigger story is that it's just Android always seems to be the second choice. And I don't know, to me, I don't know what the numbers are, but it seems like there's a lot of people that use Android. But I, I don't see it as a big issue. And part of that is just because I feel like it's a consumer electronic at this point. It's more than just a sneaker that you put on your foot and tie up. It's a consumer electronic. And with those and with the integration of an app, you are going to have some bugs or things that happen. Apple just had an issue recently saying, so if Apple or Microsoft or Instagram or any of these people can have bug issues with their apps, um, I think it's pretty easy for us to give a pass to Nike for them having issues with the Bluetooth in the Adapt BB. I would say that it's maybe maybe close to, closer to 50% than it's ever been. And that to me is is the thing that's very interesting about this. If Nike already had a partnership with iPhone or, or with Apple rather, over, with other products, right? There's been plenty of things that Nike's worked on with Apple over the years, um, going back, you know, quite a few years. So to me, I think that this is something where it should it should be it should establish more rules internally for a company like Nike and hopefully for other companies as well that they work directly with Android. You know, like I'm talking like the same way that you would partner with Apple because if you're going to leave let's say 30 or 40% of the customers out there with a product that is going to leave a bad taste in their mouth, leave them stranded with shoes that don't lace, then you're you're like in a world of hurt. You're not going to sell a lot of shoes to those people because they're going to have that bad impression from the one shoe with the technology that you know that you're failing them with. So my hope from this is that it 
starts a trend where the brands work more directly with Android as a platform, um, the way that they have with Apple for years. You know, I think that app, I think that apps are the future. I think that we're, we need. It's not just about hiring a development team to build the app that can potentially work with a platform. You're talking about like, you know, especially Nike apps, right? Like we all have bad experiences on sneakers. So you may as well just go direct to the source and and hardcore like partnership to keep these problems from happening in the future. But I'm not surprised it happened. I I mean, this won't be the only shoe to have that happen. You know, Pumas came out with auto lacing too. I'm sure there are scenarios that can brick it also. I don't know if they have an app for it, but um, yeah, I think it was unfortunate. Man, it's too bad, especially so early on when the shoes are just coming out. But um, I think I think it, it can happen, you know. I think, but that's why you also have bat- you have buttons on the shoe, um, and so hopefully those still worked. But if it was bricked, it means they didn't. So I mean, I would have. I think I probably would have pushed to make sure that the buttons work no matter what, right? So that. Um, even if the app did brick it, you know, it could it could still run, but it doesn't sound like that's the case. So um, there's another group of Nike folks that are very busy this evening um, trying to resolve this and, and kind of get it taken care of. So I feel I feel for all those guys. Thoughts on the Kobe 4 misleading press release. So Zoom Air has always been like the pinnacle cushioning for Nike, in my opinion, especially when it comes to basketball. The fact that they put out a press release saying that the Kobe Pro Tro was going to have full-length Zoom Air and changed it after the fact, after guys like Nightwing from Wear Testers discovered that it didn't have full Zoom Air, um, it's just really disappointing. You know, I, I this is something that I, I literally work on for companies. So um, it's a, not this specifically, but like an example of this would be like, there's a lot of disconnect that people don't see behind the scenes. You know, there's thousands of employees working on these projects. Man, Nike's in the news a lot today. So um, that I can actually understand that. I think it's just an honest mistake. I I don't think they intended to mislead anyone. Um, I'm thinking about myself, like how would that scenario happen with me? So if I'm talking to marketing and PR folks and who knows, maybe they weren't that experienced in shoes or maybe they just completely overlooked it. But if I said that, you know, hey, the shoe has a full length, um, it's funny, it's an Adidas. We're talking about Nike, but um, this has a full length Phylon midsole with a Zoom airbag in it. Now, some of it comes down to grammar, but like full length applies to the beginning of the sentence. It doesn't necessarily mean it applies to the airbag. So that's what I was thinking. Like, okay, if I told PR or marketing, like, well, it has a full length file on midsole with a Zoom airbag in it, they might think, like, if I don't specify it's a heel only airbag, they might think full length applies to the whole thing and we just put it in and we and we go. Um, I doubt anyone in marketing's cut open shoes to see if what the developers and designers are telling them is true. I've never seen that, but they might want to start doing that just to double check it. Um, so I, I really don't think it was misleading or intentionally to be misleading or anything like that. And uh, I just think that's really messed up. I'll be honest. Um, 
I, I don't know the full story behind this one, so I don't have any insight into this, but as a consumer, a person who has that shoe and that was expecting to have that sort of upgrade, it is super frustrating for them to change it at the last moment. Um, I don't know if it was just a manufacturing thing and they decided at the last minute that no, we're not, not gonna do full length zoom, or if it was never intended, or if someone that was writing the press release mixed some things up and then it just didn't get approved the right way, you know, someone skimmed over it or didn't approve it the right way. Uh, but either way, it is definitely frustrating. And I feel for those uh, that wanted to have that sort of experience, and especially play inside of the Kobe 4 Pro Tro, that you're not going to get that experience. I don't know how Nike is going to fix that. Uh, I know last time something like this happened, Nike refunded people. So I'm not sure if they're going to refund people this time, but it's definitely frustrating. I hear you one hundred percent i'm frustrated myself uh definitely not something that i expected i expected the upgrade upgrade especially with the whole pro tro theme that it's supposed to be an upgraded version for today and i know we do still use zoom but we expected something more than what was already in the kobe 4 so in that regard Super frustrating, but I totally and I totally understand. So Nike has no excuse. I think someone should have definitely been on this, and uh, but I'm definitely glad that they addressed it. They didn't just leave it out there to linger and to hang with no answers. So they were proactive about answering our questions about it. So with that, uh, I'm definitely appreciative appreciative of that, and I'm thankful that they you know they decided to let people know because once I saw what was going on, and I obviously hadn't worn my pair before then. It was definitely like, let me go check my pair now to see if this is just isolated issues, but it's obviously a bigger issue. And I think, and I hope that Nike will fix that in the next version of the Kobe 4 Pro Tro, either that or they change the name and take the Pro Tro out because it doesn't feel like a Pro Tro if there's not going to be some sort of added tech on the shoe to make the shoe better and bring the shoe up to the standards of today. It's really unfortunate and I think that Nike, rather than just changing the press release, should come out and make a statement saying like, hey, we messed up. We're sorry about that. If you bought these, you know, you know, we'll give you a discount or coupon or disc gift card or something like that. Because this is something so personal to the projects that I work on, um, I think that I think that there's it's another it's another opportunity for Nike to work on their processes and kind of jump backwards to 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 reset where they are with how things get passed along because a lot of times what happens is you've hired somebody either a contractor or an entry level person you know as a copywriter who's writing that stuff for the site they've never even seen the product they're getting pictures of it they're getting like a a loose outline from somebody who you know, a designer or a developer or, you know, somebody that engineered the product. So it's not, it's not like well thought out, you know, like you're really pulling from different things. And you see that in the sneaker world because a press release will go out and all of the blogs will do the exact same, made the, made this exact same mistake, right? Everybody said it was full length zoom. That to me is just a sign of like, Hey, this needs to be addressed in a, in a, in a better way from the source, right? If a shoe, if somebody's writing, especially if you're hiring somebody as a contractor, that person's not sitting there with a bunch of other people working with Nike. They're working from their own office or their own home or wherever, writing this description about the Kobe's Zoom 4 Pro Tro. They see that, that there's full length Zoom. They have no way of checking up on it, right? There's no fact checking for those people. So it sucks for those people because I would imagine 
the person that wrote that is probably going to get reprimanded, possibly even fired or, you know, have a have some, you know, end of relationship with Nike because they made that mistake. But at the same time, like where do they get the information from? Like I would assume if it, based on my experience that it came in a list of things, you're not just going to get one shoe and say, "Hey, write about this." It's literally like, "Here's all the shoes that are coming out for the next 3 months. We need product descriptions and we need stories on all these shoes." So there's a big disconnect on the business side that people will probably never see. And that, to me, hopefully gets solved with this issue be coming out. I think it I think it was a total accident. And um, I'm sure they'll any I'm sure they'll figure out a way to communicate and, and make any customers that are unhappy about this um, happy again. But um, it's I don't think they have anything to gain by falsely advertising they know that you YouTubers like myself are going to tear these shoes apart and see what's in them, you know, and you can tell right away when there's not a zoom bag that, I mean, that's, that's, it's pretty obvious. So yeah, I, I think they know people are going to tear their shoes apart. And, and, um, you know, I, I think it's super challenging to be in this situation, but I think it was, I think it was an accident. You know, people, people make mistakes all the time. Um, that those PR folks and those marketing team and uh, designers and developers, I'm sure, are on their phones too tonight. So I think a lot of Nike people are working tonight, um, uh, a little overtime or a little extra hours to to fix a very heavy Nike news day. <laughs> from from a customer facing perspective, I think it's handled. It was handled very poorly. It definitely needs to have. It needs to be addressed in a different way from Nike. I just think it's absolutely absurd that you would let something like that go out, especially to, you know, you know, everybody knows how quickly stuff spreads on sneaker blogs. It goes out on Nike. It's on every other blog within the next hour or two, and it's copy and pasted, just like Chris said in the wear testers video. So to me, that's, that's kind of like the, the obvious mistake, right? Is, is just changing the press release after the fact just makes it seem like you already knew something was wrong and, sh and you shade were shadily changing it without telling people. Now, there's no way for them to send out a next press release in the same regards because people pull from the Nike business site rather than, it used to be proactive where Nike would send the press release, a PR person from Nike would send a press release to, let's say, uh, let's say, you know, two dozen different websites or, or magazines, news outlets, whatever. That doesn't really happen the same way anymore, especially with a product that's not quite as high energy, right? They might do that for the Adapt BB, but they're not going to do that for the Kobe Protro because it's just not, it's, it doesn't have the same level of importance in the grand scheme of things. So now the, the, that per, those people don't, don't have a way to send out a correction to this huge mistake that's obviously out there. And there's not really a way for Nike to do it in a, in a way that doesn't create more attention than the attention itself. So, you know, they, they kind of come to this moral business dilemma of like, how do we fix this problem? To me, you just gotta, you know, drop the ego and say you made a mistake, apologize. If you gotta send out some gift cards to solve the problem, you gotta do what you gotta do. It's better than having a bunch of negative press release and having a bunch of Kobe Protros on the shelf that never sell. So that's my thoughts. I don't know. What do you guys think? All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this. This is a different format we're trying. You know, life's crazy. So we got to keep changing it up. 
Hope you guys have an awesome day. See ya. All right, so that's it for this episode. It was a little different for us, and we hope you guys enjoyed it just as much as we did. Uh, stay tuned, because we'll be back next week with another show. Again, it's always Outside Pods. That's where you can find us. If you want to find Tiffany, it's Tiffany Beards all over the internet. And for Nick, it's Sneaker History or Nick Ingvall all over the internet. I am Cousteau. Again, follow us at Outside Pods. Send us your feedback. Send us your questions, and we might answer your question in the next show. Uh, as always, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And uh, this is the outside the box podcast and we love you guys see you next time peace all right talk to you next time if you're listening but if you're watching we'll see you but if you're all right bye